Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and this gathering. I bless you tremendously for these amazing men and women and, uh, that have gathered here into this place. Uh, be with us as we enter into our uh, final value as we begin to talk about resurrection. Uh, God, may you be honored and glorified in this place. Speak, uh, God, to us. And may our hearts and our ears and our souls be open to hearing from you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. We've been going through a series on our values, and we started with love, and now we're ending up with resurrection. And so those posters that you see every time you walk through, walk into Spark, and the values that you see on our website are the core values of Spark. They are the things that drive us. They are the things that inform our culture and our values. They are the things that inform everything that we do. They're central to who we are. And so tonight, we're going to start with our value resurrection. And just for fun, if you would be so kind and not, not to spit uh, food upon your neighbor, would you say these values after me only if you don't have food in your mouth? Because otherwise I would get chastised by a parent or a spouse. So uh, first value is love. Say love. love. Then reputation. reputation. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Rescue. Rescue. And resurrection. And what I'd like to do very briefly is share with you a little bit of their story. For those of you who have been uh, with us last week and the previous week, you know that Pastor Danielle and I have been going through um, some family situations, and I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a briefing of that and to share with you a little bit more of the context of the story about what was going on. And for those of you who haven't heard, um, hopefully this will be, uh, hopefully I'll fill in enough details uh, for you to capture a little bit about what's been going on. Back in June, when uh, Danielle and I were in Israel, uh, we got a phone call from a member of our community, a friend of ours and somebody who was close to us, uh, regarding a pregnancy that had happened. And um, the short of that conversation was uh, this person was not in a situation where they wanted to keep the child. And um, there's um, things that are complicated in life and things that inform the decisions that you make and things that are important to take into consideration when you have to make life choices. And so we, um, we said when we were over there in Israel, we're not going to make any decisions. We need to come home first and try to figure everything out. And the short of it is essentially over the course of the consecutive um, five to six months or so, we had spent a considerable amount of time in conversations and in prayer, thoughtful deliberation, thinking through all of the possible scenarios of a surprise pregnancy of somebody who we love, of somebody who we care about deeply, uh, and now the emergence of a child that is now in this conversation um, and we believe very sincerely that all life is to be valued. All life is very precious to God. And so that's not something that you take lightly, and that's not something that you just flippantly enter into any conversation or any agreements with. Danielle and I are primarily pastors. It's what we do. And a pastor is somebody who shepherds. It's somebody who cares. It's somebody who looks out for the people that God has entrusted to you. And so in this particular situation, what that means for us is to ask a bunch of questions and to pursue every avenue of thought, of consideration, to make sure to the very, very best of our ability that this person in our life, 
feels supported, loved, cared for, and surrounded by people who will journey with her no matter where this road might happen to take, uh, no matter what decisions that she might happen to make. And given the context of her situation and circumstance, we had worked really hard to figure out, is it possible for her to keep this child? Is it possible for her to bring this child into the world and to raise it um, as her own? And being a single mom is a difficult and complicated thing. I have deep respect. I got a lot of kids at King's Academy who are single parents. And so, I'm sorry, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of kids who are, you know, you know what I'm saying. I'm sorry. A little, little brain thing going on there. Um, and so I, we have deep respect for anybody who is a single parent. We know it's hard work. And we had just started this church, and um, you all have joined in with this partnership of launching this thing called Spark. And because we are values-driven, because we believe that love changes everything, because we believe that love and rescue and resurrection actually live and work here in this real world, we had thought through and talked through all of the options to make sure that if you wanted to keep this child, we will... We'll do that. We'll support that. We'll celebrate this, this circumstance, and we'll celebrate this beautiful life that God has brought into being. And so I guess what I wanted to share with you just very briefly is that though the context of our circumstance in over the last week is about the loss of not bringing a child home, there's a fuller context to that as well. And the fuller context of it includes the loss of trusting somebody that you had worked so hard to love and so hard to care for. Um, Life, and especially faith, brings with it crises at times. In fact, a lot of us in Christian faith will face oftentimes a crisis of faith, where we're not quite sure if God is there. We have those questions about circumstances and situations. Well, pastors often go through this thing uh, sometimes called a crisis of vocation. This calling that you have to love people, to care for people, to pour your heart and your soul out to people, and yet to see the people that you love and you care for sometimes not make the best decisions or to continue down the path that they've decided is their best path, but you know it's only going to end up in hurt and pain and destruction. So when Danielle and I showed up at the hospital uh, last, a couple Wednesdays now ago, fully prepared after going through all of that work and after hearing from her, after all of those conversations, the best thing for this child is to send this child home with Danielle and I. We began preparing our home. We began preparing our hearts. We began to do everything because a child that gets welcomed into this world should be welcomed fully with every possible embrace of love that you can possibly give it. And so when we showed up then at the hospital on Wednesday only to have the birth mother change her mind. Um, There's a whole rush of complicated emotions that come through that. That include, yes, the loss of the hope of having a child in your home, um, the financial loss of the investment that you've made, the loss of a friend that you feel like has betrayed you in some way, the loss of the certainty of you were doing the right thing, but now you don't know if you were doing the right thing. And it's all that complicated mixture. 
And I kind of liken it a little bit to a Rube Goldberg machine. And for those of you who don't know what a Rube Goldberg machine, this is a Rube Goldberg machine. And I made a Rube Goldberg machine. A Rube Goldberg machine is a machine that creates a chain reaction, a really complicated one, to make to do a simple task. Rube Goldberg machines don't, don't always work on how much first try. So this is my trick. How much successes and how much failures. I think... I think we'll have... This is my hypothesis, and this is the actual. My hypothesis on successes is two. <laughs> I think we'll have 10 to 20. We'll have 10 to 20 failures, and two successes. But that's, that's my hypothesis. That's the Rube Goldberg mission. Now, I share that to bring some levity to the situation, because in some ways I feel like what Danielle and I did with this situation ours is a little bit like this. You set up initially, all you want to do is catch the monster, and that's a very simple thing to do. All we wanted to do uh, with this birth mother is to send the child home for that to happen. And I felt like in some ways that we had gone through all of these complicated things, uh, spent all this energy and effort only to end up with the very same result, a little bit of what we had there. And so I think it's important to bring some levity to any situation. Life is full of tragedy and comedy, and those two are often two sides of the exact same coin. Um, But that's a little bit of kind of how we feel. And it's obviously a little bit more complicated than that. Um, And there's other things that are involved, but that's a little bit of the brief of that. But that's not the entire story. That's a little bit of what happened, um, and that's a little bit of our journey through the adoptive process, and we've learned tons about it. But that's not the entire story. And as we get into resurrection, and as we talk about bringing new life out of things that have died, there's beautiful, amazing, redemptive, restorative things because we follow this guy called Jesus, whose name is Jesus, who, whose name means God's salvation. And so in the midst of this, there's a couple things that I wanted to share with you, lessons and insights that I think are important for all of us as a community to consider, and they come right out of these values. The first is simply this. Throughout this entire journey, um, we had this church, and we're like, we mentioned to you, what crazy people launch out at a church and then proceed with an adoption, you know, all at the same time, while I got a full-time job doing all these things. This is just nuts. But one of the things that we celebrated tremendously is the fact that we were surrounded by people who loved, 
who cared, who made food, who sent cards, who sent greetings. And you want to talk about a church where the reason why we do these dinners and the reason why we have events and the reason why we've started a community is not because we're putting on a Sunday show, but because we get to journey with life together. And when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it. And when one part of the body rejoices, we all rejoice with it. And so what we wanted to say to every single one of you who have been even a small or a big part of that last journey is thank you. Thank you so much. I'm a very private person. I'm like a 9.8 on an introvert-extrovert scale. Like, you know, my happy spot is in my bed with my book, you know. And my extroversion is my dog. Okay, it's like I can extend myself to my dog. Um, but one of the things that I'm really thankful for is that we, we shared um, this story with you guys. We were hesitant to do so, you know, because of the last-minute legalities of things. But we shared. And the amount of love and the amount of support, and the amount of encouragement, and the, the conversations have been phenomenal. So thank you. Thank you for being a church. Thank you for not just showing up to Sundays and participating in, in teachings and in foundation experiment and music and singing together, but thank you for being the church, for living out the values. These are values not because we need something to put on our website. These are values because they drive and inform the culture of who we are. And when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And ultimately, thank you for being a church that loves. Thank you for setting that core value at the center of who you are. Um, Ryan Jones, who comes and plays music for us every now and then, after the very first service of Spark, our opening Sunday, afterwards walked out of this building and said to me, where did you find all of these amazing people? And that phrase has stuck with me through all 16 weeks now of Spark. Where did all these amazing people come from? I feel, we feel tremendously blessed that you have decided to be the church and you've lived these things out and we've got to experience um, that fully and completely. And if you're here just visiting, checking us out, trying to figure out, hey, there's this new church going on and they meet in a synagogue. I mean, what's that all about? And I show up and I'm eating in the sanctuary, you know, and you know, that's not allowed in other sanctuaries kind of a deal. Well, if you're trying to figure out what Spark is all about, this story is one portion of that. Spark is about people who love and people who give of themselves to journey together, and it's been a beautiful thing. I want to share with you that this journey of us, I would lie to you if I didn't tell you that it's been painful, it's been hurtful, it's been devastating, um, We've shed a lot of tears over this situation and circumstance. But I wrote my staff an email, and I said, you know what? This is just a slice of hell. You know, life is full of heaven and hell. Life is full of good times and bad times. Life is full of great celebrations and devastating disappointments. But the reality is, it's just a slice. The reality is, the vast majority of what God has given to us has been over here has been good. Every single one of you, when we see you, when we get an email from you, from you, when we get to share a laugh together, when we get to celebrate together, when we um, get to go to the Freedom Summit together, when we get to go to the movies together, um, when I think about my family, when I think about our house, when I think about our community, God has been phenomenally good. So the problem with most of us is this, is that we experience these little slices of hell 
and we like to swap slices. The problem for many of us is that the slices of hell that we get in our lives, usually our focus in the way we talk about and the way we think about them, are really all in this side. We think that this little piece that I've been dealt is really the majority when it's actually the minority. So one of the disciplines in my mind and in my soul over this past couple weeks has been don't swap the slices. Recognize that the reason why this hurts, the reason why this is painful is because it's within this context. And the reason why it may hurt more is because I've been so blessed that it's a perspective that I'm not as familiar with because God has been so good. And so, it's just a slice. For the rest of my talk tonight, I want to share with you then a little bit. How do we deal with this slice? What are some responses that each and every one of you um, could possibly take on as we all deal with this slice? A couple weeks ago, I shared a message called Between the Trees or Reaching for the Trees. And we talked about the tree of Genesis and we talked about the tree of Revelation and about how wonderful things are happening in Genesis and amazing, beautiful things are happening in Revelation. But in between that, we live in a world full of loss, death, disappointment, disillusionment, frustration, and injustice. And so we live between the trees. And every movement, every work, when you go to work, when you involve yourself in justice work, when you raise a child, when you're in education trying to pass on and and fix the bureaucracy of education, when you are striving to make this world a better place, you're reaching for those trees because this is not the reality that we know to be the ultimate truth in our souls. The ultimate truth we know about is the Genesis tree and the Revelation tree that we're all striving for. But we live here. And what happens here, again, that little slice can sometimes be very exacerbated in our minds. I was um, reading as we were talking about resurrection, John chapter 11, with the raising of Lazarus. If you remember this story where Jesus is uh, commissioned or called to, Jesus, your, your disciple whom you love is sick and is ill and is going to die. And, and the whole scene there with Mary and Martha and Jesus says, um, Let's go somewhere else. And he takes a little trip to Judea. Doesn't go directly to save Lazarus's life. He takes a little trip. And then later on uh, in John chapter 12, there's this phrase that Jesus uses. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear much fruit. And so I was pondering this and thinking about what does it mean to live between these trees? What does it mean to, to have this potential in every single one of us thinking and believing that we can do something amazing and beautiful in this world? Whether it's the work in ministry or whether it's the work in education or whether it's the work in justice or whether it's the work of parenting a child, we can do something amazing. And we often think we have this perception that we can go from grain to glory, and the grain that God has given every single one of us, if we, if we nourish it, if we, we pay attention to it, that's going to get to the glory, the wonderful thing that God has. But in between there, <laughs> there's a grave. And he says, unless that grain falls into the ground and dies, then it can't bear much fruit. 
And that comes right after Jesus with the Lazarus story where he doesn't go and see, he waits for Lazarus to actually die. And he says, this was all for God's glory. Three times they come to Jesus. If you had been here, he would not have died. My brother would still be alive. Three times they say that. And Jesus says, well, it wasn't about that. It was about glory. So in between this grain and glory is the grave. And so I feel like in some ways, in order for us to frame and to think about what is, this, what is the journey through the scriptures? Well, the journey through the scriptures is we go from grain to glory, but in between we have a little bit of a grave. And things within us have to die. Things within us have to suffer. Things within us, because we live in this world that's broken and fallen, we have to experience a little bit of what that is. In the grave section, then in living between the trees, I want to share with you three temptations and three redemptions. Very, very quickly. Things that I was tempted to do during this circumstance and situation. Things that all of us, I think, are tempted to do whenever injustice, whenever pain, whenever suffering, whenever somebody does us wrong, whenever somebody deceives us, when it, whether it's lying or cheating or adultery or hatred, whenever those things happen, what are the temptations that we have? One of the first temptations that I remember thinking is to demonize, is to call the person that has done this to you the devil incarnate. Like, how could you? You want to, you know, um, kind of like um, fine china that it, when, when special occasions happen, what do you do? You bring out the fine china. You, that, it's stored away in a cupboard and you bring it out because there's a special occasion and you want everybody to see this wonderful thing that's happening. I feel like when injustice happens and when pain happens, you have this little cupboard full of curse words and you have this little cupboard of vocabulary that you don't use in polite company and when this thing happens, you pull it out and say, okay, I've really got some language for this person. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what that person is. Let me tell you what they did to me. And we have this language, language that emerges within us. And the language that we use is often to attack or to attribute the evil to that person. But I'd like to suggest to you that in the scriptures, we, we hear Paul say in Ephesians 6 and in Matthew 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And then in Matthew 6, if you cannot forgive your brother or sister who has sinned against you, your heavenly father cannot forgive you. These are some weighty words in the midst of a temptation to want to demonize. That passage in Matthew 6 is very similar to you carrying around a weight. This thing, this wrong that somebody has done to you, this injustice that has happened in your life, you carry that around with you. And because you are unwilling to send this evil and this pain and this hurt away, to forgive is what that means, to send it away, you're going to carry on to this. But God is trying to give you something. He's trying to hand over some grace and some love and some mercy to you, but you can't hold it because you're holding on to this. If you cannot forgive your brother or sister, then your heavenly Father cannot forgive you. you. In order to receive the grace and the forgiveness that God has for you, it requires us to lay down, to put down the heavy load of the pain and, and the injustice that we feel in our hearts. So one of the first temptations that, that I admit and confess to you during this time and during other times is to demonize. 
The redemption is to forgive and to have compassion. The second temptation that I've experienced is this temptation to give up, to kind of acquiesce. Fine, I've done everything I could, and it's still not working. It's still not happening. Why even try anymore? Um, I picked up a book um, because part of my therapy is to read and to study, like I said, introvert. And in this book, the, there's two psychologists that are talking, and one of the psychologists, uh, they're talking about sociopaths and people that don't have a conscience and people that are incapable of loving or caring or having empathy. And the, one of the psychologists in this book says, you know what, it just seems easier if you didn't care. And have you ever felt like things have been so bad or, or the, the issue is so big or the challenge is just so beyond your scope, there's this temptation to want to give up. There's this temptation to want to acquiesce. Okay, this is apparently how the world is and how the world works, and that's the way it's going to be. However, the redemption side is don't give up. Use that power to create. In Genesis chapter 1, there's this amazing passage where God talks about the chaos and the darkness before the creation of the universe. And then he says, but the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And that word hovering is the same word that is used in the Bible for a bird that broods or hovers over the eggs. In other words, in the midst of the chaos and in the midst of the darkness and in the midst of that pain, The Spirit of God is incubating a brand new life, a brand new life out of that chaos. And so the image in the picture here is just like a bird hovering and brooding and incubating new life out of the eggs. So God is incubating and bringing up a brand new life out of the chaos. And so even though the temptation is to acquiesce and say, forget it, There's another response, the redemptive response, which is to take all of that energy, to take all of that pain, to take all of that and to turn it into something creative and to turn it into something redemptive. Part of that for us is to share that story with you and to pray that God would use this story and this journey to well up something within our community to say, yeah, these values are really real. These values are something that can really change our Lives. These are values that can really make a difference in my circumstance at work or my relationship at home or some conflict that I have with a brother or sister. Yes, these things can actually be redeemed. And so even though there's this temptation to give up, there's this temptation to say, forget it. It's the movement of resurrection is to say, I can use that to create whatever energy or whatever anger or whatever is now welled up within me just like God hovering over the surface of the waters. So God, hover over me and let's well up something beautiful and wonderful. The last is to retaliate, is to want to get back. The last temptation is to want to do something to make it better. I'm going to get justice and here's how it's going to happen. And all of us have felt at one point that I have power within me to do something and I'm going to do it because I'm going to get this revenge or this retaliation. But the value and the story of resurrection 
is completely the opposite of that temptation. The redemption and the value of resurrection is that what resurrection does is it takes the retaliation desire and reverses it. Resurrection is not just the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Resurrection is a reversal of the death that took him there in the first place. Let me say that again, because this is huge. Resurrection is not just that Jesus rose from the dead. Resurrection is the reversal of the death that put him there in the first place. It is to say that it is to take everything that somebody has journeyed down a road towards injustice, journeyed down a road towards deception, journeyed down a road towards lying, cheating, stealing, journeyed down a road. And those of us who are followers of Jesus and Jesus himself gets into that journey and then backs it up and says, you started down this path, but we're going to put that into reverse. And all of the things... All the things that you now strived for, all the things that you now went for, we're actually going to back it up. I found this video online that I thought was really um, telling, um, kind of beautiful as well. And I don't know how else to picture resurrection. I don't know how else to think about it. It's so abstract in our minds. But to think about how somebody went in one direction and then Jesus comes along in our lives and in our hearts and says, no, no, we're going to back that thing up. The, the, the scroll and the tape that you've been playing, we're going to play that in reverse. Because we started in Genesis. We started with beauty. We started with God's perfection. We started with God having this world exactly the way it is. And then we, because of our sin, because of our desires, because of our wanting to be like God, because of that, we journey down a path away from that. And we experience that when people do us wrong. The resurrection says, you've journeyed down that path, and we can back that path up. Back to the original of what it was intended and originally needed to be. You don't have to acquiesce to the fact that this world is between the trees. You don't have to give up. You don't have to surrender to the fact that bad things happen. No. Resurrection says you can actually get in there and turn it all around. Resurrection says there's not just a drive. There's also a reverse. Resurrection says the thing that you originally had in your heart is not lost. It can be reclaimed and it can be restored. It can be given to you once again. This is my favorite scene. And I love these images because when I think about the traje trajectory that all of us are on a bit, it can sometimes feel like that's the only path that we're going. But resurrection says no. It doesn't have to be that way. It can actually be backwards. So that's a little bit of our thoughts. And I wanted to share with you very, very briefly a little bit of how we've tried to exemplify this value. 
about how we've tried to make sure that love continues forward even in the midst. This is a letter that we wrote to the birth mother, and we're going to share it with you. I take very little credit for it. My wife actually wrote it. (laughs) Dear birth mother, just wanted you to know that though we're completely devastated, though we walk by a closed door to a nursery too painful to walk into, decorated and full of promises unkept and hopes deferred, drawers full of sweet things, fun diapers and toys, we still love you and we're still praying for you. Though our relationship and friendship is forever changed, we haven't stopped caring about you, and we miss you. We still pray blessings on you, and we want still God's best for you and your little one. I'm sure there are many portions of your current journey that are quite joyful amongst a few portions that are at times a bit challenging. During those more difficult moments, though you've chosen a path that precludes us from being there for you physically, Please know that we still pray for you and choose to obey Christ's command to love. So we stand in the gap for you spiritually. If Christ's role for us in all of this was to walk with you and simply ensure that your daughter be given life in this world, for her to enter into this world with health, joy, and excitement, then we humbly submit to God's call in our lives. Dear Jesus, please bless the birth mother. Please pour out your healing Holy Spirit upon her in powerful ways. As she dreams for her future and the future of her little one, I pray that you would shape and mold birth mom into the disciple and mother you long for her to be for you and for your kingdom. As our paths now diverge, we trust you with her, this precious daughter of yours, whom we have loved and spiritually cared for, not just these past nine months, but for the years before. Lead her to a loving Christian community where she can receive healing and hope, and where her daughter can grow in the knowledge and truth of you, Jesus. We place her into your loving hands, knowing there is no better place she could be. Amen.